evening and welcome to another episode of the Axiom Principle. This night we have something a little bit special. It's a list I've been working on to try and identify uh, an ideology in particular. Um, there are plenty of ideologies out there. There's uh, Christianity, of course. There's Buddhism. There's Islam. There's Sheikhs. There's Hindus and more. They all have things shared in common. Um, most people don't really take the time to see it. And so I, I thought it might be interesting to try and, and make a, a root cause list, if you will, or, or a, a, a list of attributes, as it were, to what would qualify as a, an, an ideology in general. So what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to walk you through uh, that list in particular. But before I do, I wanted to bring up why this is, is so important and why you should care. And uh, let, let's start with that. So there there was an author about a, 200 years ago, close enough, to uh, that wrote a book that founded all of deism. His name was uh, Spinoza. Most people are familiar with him. If you're into the arguments of religion, then you know who Spinoza is because he founded modern deism and he gave philosophy a chance at explaining uh, religion in general. Uh, he was also excommunicated from the Jewish faith because his, of his views and traditions and particularly his philosophy on God in general. And uh, that makes him the first openly close to secular Jew. Interestingly enough, also, uh, Einstein favored his ideas of the belief and views on God. If God were to exist, it would be Spinoza's God. This is something that Einstein has said in the past. So I thought it would be appropriate to start with a couple quotes from Spinoza's book called Ethos or Ethics. Um, the first thing to know about anything is that the substance of which it is, is by nature prior to its modifications. So what this means is, uh, in modern terms, is a root cause analysis. You're going to look at what is the core of an ideology, not necessarily its faith claims, not even... It's belief in God. These are all modifications of the same view, which is, I think, particularly compelling. So we, we have a classification of religion, right? And in this classification, we see uh, Islam, Buddhism, uh, Christianity, Sheikhs, Hindu. Those are the biggest religions out there, right? Well, um, let's bring us to the second quote and why, why this matters. They're all classified religions, but are they, are they really kind of the same or are they different? They, they have different books. They have different traditions. Some of them uh, like the, spawn from the Jewish faith. There's the two of the biggest ones spawn from the Jewish faith. And so they, they're kind of connected. But how? Well, uh, two substances whose attributes are different, have nothing in common. So if these are all religions, there's something in common there, but what is that something? Next quote, the more 
reality or being a thing has, the greater its number of attributes. So Christianity in its belief structure, um, Islam and its belief structure, boast billions of followers. Clearly, there's plenty of attributes that constitute each of these religions. And essentially what this means is to know what a thing is, you must know what those attributes are. You need to get down to the root of those attributes, find out what those attributes are, and then you can pretty much determine if somebody has an ideology in their head uh, that is spawned by those attributes, which is similar to all their religions, or it, it may be something else because it differs in some way. And that would have to be by its substance, not by its modifications. So what you should do when you take all the religions of the world is do a root cause analysis of those religions and find out what is the core of the arguments. Most people start at the easy parts. Like they'll look at um, they all believe in God. Well, no, that's not true, because Buddhism does not believe in any particular gods. Well, uh, they all have different names for gods. Well, that's true of all but a few. Scientology, for example, doesn't have any gods either. But they have a different belief structure. So what's the connecting thread? We need to break down all the way to the core attributes to understand ideologies at their center to under to to be able to tell what those ideologies are so i i took the time to try and list a few of these attributes down i, I might turn this into a book sometime in the future but um there's there's so many that it's uh, hard to break it down into a very cohesive list and that's a huge challenge, of course. But uh, I think I got the top ten, I feel, that are pretty obvious indicators of, of what an ideology, or to identify an ideology, rather. So let's start with the first one, which I think is pretty obvious, and that's fear. Fear is uh, something that we all have, that we all live with. Um, it's a part of our type one errors, where... If uh, there's a wrestling in the woods, your innate fear makes you think that's danger. And it may just be the wind or it may be a tree falling, who knows. But it's not danger in, in reality, so you make a type 1 error. You, you flee or fight. You can go attack it, whatever. Right? The, the, the type 1 and type 2 errors are the core of our emotional response of fear. That, that innate fear drives ideological fe thinking because we're also forward-thinking beasts. So therefore, uh, because we fear death and we know we're going to die, we make things up to mitigate that fear because there's no way to know what happens after you're dead. There's just, there's not. There's, there's guesses, there's beliefs, there's um, religious faiths, there's practices. There's no real way to know, though. Um, in a study that was done, uh, I believe it was 2009 or 8, it was a while ago, 
the doctors in ORs and emergency rooms were having a lot of people say that they had out-of-body experiences. So what the doctors did is they put a clock at the top of the the shelving because most out-of-body experiences claim that they're floating in the sky and they're hovering above their body and whatnot. And, you know, they, it, everything's so vivid and clear and they can see themselves and they can see the doctors operating on them, on them and all that fun stuff. So they ask them every time, well, what time did the clock say? What was on the clock counter there? What, there was a number at the top of the clock. Not a single one could tell the people in the OR or the people doing the study what the number was, what time it was. And it was plain as day on a huge uh, LED base clock. It was a big, one of those big ones. And uh, this study was done with about five, 600 people in an OR situation where most of the out-of-body experiences were claimed. And uh, it was pretty conclusive evidence that that's a bunch of BS. But it's still ideologically driven because people are afraid of death. They make things up. They want to uh, mitigate the fear, even if it's a subconscious fear that you know you're under the operating table, you're getting cut out, you're, you're having a body part replaced or an organ part of it. So to mitigate that, you have what they call an out-of-body experience, which is completely up in your head. It's completely made up. So fear... I believe was the motivator for such things because it's it's the one that makes most sense. You're afraid to die, so psychologically you need to defend against that because there's, physically there's no way. The next one that I think is most important is faith. One of the things you'll notice throughout all the religions, it doesn't matter which one it is, they all have a faith requirement. And this faith requirement... Um, is best defined uh, by Dr. Peter Bogosian when he says faith is pretending to know what you do not know. I think that's probably the best definition I've ever heard for faith. Because faith is in the belief of something without any evidence to uh, substantiate that belief. It's, it's always based on either partial or n no knowledge of a thing. So it's a f complete faith claim. To give an example, as we were talking about death just a minute ago, the faith claim for the Christians is that there's a heaven and hell, and if you're good, you go to heaven, and if you're bad, you go to hell, and there's a whole bunch of rules to go either direction. You you essentially have to believe this to be true. There's no evidence for this. There's there's no There's no even circumstantial evidence. There's no partial knowledge of this thing to be true. So it's an assumption, it's a guess. And faith is required to substantiate that. Another example that's a little bit more secular is the, the wage gap. It's based on partial knowledge. It's not based on full knowledge. So when you look at the 27% or 20% wage gap, however you want to put it, it's, it's been a fluctuating number in, in a uh, variety of different arguments. You look at that number... And then you go look at the statistics and you find that the, what they did was they lumped all men with all women, not even in the same job, and found that women make less than men. When they calculated in uh, work-life balance, choice of jobs, choice of uh, professions, 
Um, they found that in certain professions, women made more than men. In other professions, men made more than women. For example, construction, men make more than women. Uh, in nursing and health and those type of fields, uh, women make more than men. Um, when you compare two in the same field, it's actually roughly about 2% depending on the field. Still, that's a, you know that's a significant gap, but you're talking most people that are maybe government jobs get a 3% raise a year, and that's static. Well, um, in these environments, 2% is insignificant statistically. It, it has to be better than 5 to, for anybody to care. So there's really not it's not an issue there, but based on partial knowledge that the first part where you lump everybody together and there's a 20 something percent, like a one quarter almost wage gap. Um, an ideological claim is made. It's based on faith. It's based on partial knowledge. It's not based in evidence or facts. It's based on half of the facts. Another example would be the same rustling in the woods where you hear the wind your faith claim could say that that's happened a billion times before and there's nothing there, uh, but you could be wrong and you could end up dead because this time around it's actually a wolf. It's based on partial knowledge from historical evidence. You're talking, you know, you've heard this sound a dozen times. It's kind of normal for this environment. So you let your guard down and that's what it is. So faith in essence is an answer to ignorance, which keeps people ignorant. It is the placebo of the unknown, because we fear the unknown, type 1, type 2 errors. We apply a faith-based claim to mitigate that emotional pain of fear. Moving on to the next one, uh, this one's a little bit more tricky, and it's a heck of a lot more fun because this is where all the arguments are made, and I call it faulty reasoning. This is a reasoning uh, shaped from an, an emotional appeal and not a logical one. So we do possess an analytical mind. It's very possible for us to use that analytical mind. However, our own innate uh, human characteristics of being mammals on this planet carries with it the emotional uh, how should I put this uh, reasoning emotional IQ as they called it in, in the 90s and 80s that uh, you basically reason your way into a position based on pure emotions and not facts whatsoever Um in a previous podcast, I mentioned in uh, covering a book, uh, Amazing Conversions, that the three things that caused people to go back to a religion was uh, fear, trauma, and depression or loneliness. Um, depression and loneliness kind of go together. Uh, fear was one of big characteristics because it was the fear of the unknown, fear of whatever, and trauma, uh, death in the family, whatnot. Those type of things drive people to believe in ideological position. And it's all driven based on emotional-based reasoning. That's why it's quick for somebody to go from 
an analytical position, a, a, a position based on fact, jump straight to a Christian position, for example, because it's emotional reasoning. It's a sudden click. It's something at a, at a base instinct because analytical thinking or logical thinking is, is not inherent or the basis of our psychological makeup. It's a higher cognitive ability, which is why it's so rare to see somebody actually maintain logical thinking throughout their entire lifetime. Eventually, it, and it never fails, somebody is going to reason with their emotions and it doesn't matter if they're the smartest person on earth or not. They will reason with emotions from time to time. It's inevitable. So what you see in ideological thinking is they rely on this faulty reasoning, emotional reasoning, to bring themselves or bring somebody else into the same belief structure. Um, Christians use the fear of death and the fear of burning in an eternal hell for your sins to convert people to Christianity. Islam has a variety of tactics to, to convert people up to and including intimidation, uh, which is all covered in the Quran if you take a look and take a time to read it. Uh, Hindu doesn't have as much in there. Basically what they espouse is you will repeat this life and you'll continually get a worse life if you don't live a better life now. So... If you're a rich person now and you live, live a crappy life, your next life you'll be cleaning gutters or something like that. Uh, it's, it's a really kind of weird – well, it's weird to me anyways uh, – dogma of rotating uh, lives, lives, I guess, not life, uh, that just never cease. It's uh, really, really bizarre. And uh, they all reach to this uh, fear and they uh, appeal to it and try to reason their way or make excuses or justify or, or mitigate the emotional damage through uh, faulty reasoning, something that would ease the fear. Now, in the secular religious context, um, what they do is they appeal to... Uh, Ostracization. We're we're a social species, and e either you're with us or against us. And if you're against us, then the potential of being harmed goes up. Uh, their their faulty reasoning in uh, a lot of the arguments you see in the uh, racial movements, like Black Lives Matter, for example, where uh, they constantly bring up slavery, 400 years of torture, and now you owe us. Um, we've been oppressed. We've been this, that, and the other with you know, no evidence, of course, because they're all faith claims. But it's faulty reasoning as well because it's supposed to appeal to your uh, your your decency. It's appeal to your common decency for another person. Since we've uh, evolved as a society to say that owning people is a bad thing and that uh, uh, minimizing or marginalizing people based on any attribute that's physical is absolutely stupid. And uh, with that evolution, uh, some people have taken abuse of that to drive a new set of ideological thinking. 
but you get where the idea is that it's all faulty reasoning. It's all, uh, for those that are really good with fallacies, it basically appeals to emotion up one end and down the other. It's all based on emotional appeal at some, some level. The the next very interesting one that uh, I'm still kind of on the fence with, but I think it aligns pretty well, and that's uh, the utopian ideal. And with uh, Christianity and uh, Judaism and Muslim and all that, they pretty much espouse that you get into heaven uh, for Muslims, 72 versions. Versions? Wow, I'm just not good with English tonight. 72 virgins uh, with with the typical Christians. You go to heaven and, and be with people that you love. With Mormons, it's uh, you enter into the bottom kingdom and go to the higher kingdoms based on your merits of a person and uh, your your status in the church. And uh, you're all met with family and friends and extended family and family you never knew. I'll welcome you with open arms. It's a big family-oriented type thing. With uh, Hindu, you get born again into the best life or you escape rebirth altogether and, and be one with the universe and just peace with everything, right? But it's all utopian. It's appeals to a better future that can never be, that are impossible, that don't exist. In the case of the classic religions, they all assumed that there was life after death, so they made the utopian ideal that that life after death was better than this life, because this life sucks. With the newer ideologies, what you see is um, they, they espouse an end to all racism and all sexism and all misogyny and all whatever, um, and how they go about doing that is by using more sexism and racism and misogyny and men's uh, misandry, which is exactly the opposite of what you should be doing if you want to live in that utopian society. Uh, socialism is another good example where everybody gets an equal share. The uh, property is no longer owned by people, but by in, uh, by not by individuals, but by a community at large. You basically uh, share with everyone and everyone shares with each other. It's a very peaceful manner. Everybody gets along, that type of thing. In reality, uh, it goes against the very nature of the human condition where possession is something that we all drive for in some fashion. It doesn't necessarily have to be you possess cars or houses or property. There is always prized possessions that people have, and when that stuff is taken or thrown away... Uh, they become emotionally wrecked. The The easiest example is when you're married or when you're with somebody with for a prolonged period of time, say 10 years or so, and that person goes away in some fashion, uh, either cheats on you or dies or something worse. You know, um, th- that loss is uh, a... a is is horrible and that's in in the uh, religious sense they appeal to your your hope of being with those people you love again when you die it's a utopian idea that just isn't possible but it's it's essentially the way i can sum it up 
it's it's a draw to a conclusion that sees a utopia, a desired ultimate outcome where everybody's just treated equally, for example, uh, but is ultimately unattainable. It, it's not possible in any real sense of the word. The globalist uh, view, for example, is something I actually agree with. I think globalism is a good thing. However, we're never going to get there because we are so very different from one side of the planet to the other. We are uh, evolved into our own environments. So our own views, even our own cultures can never intertwine. The The culture of Islam is an- antithetical to all of Western culture, for example. I mean, they, they treat women like property, literally. They get some say in some things. But to give you an example, if a woman is raped, it takes four men to witness it, and all four of them have to say, yeah, she was raped, for a rape charge to be placed and convicted on the person that raped her. Four eyewitnesses are required. That's preposterous. Predators don't do anything where people can see it. So essentially your property it's ridiculous. But the utopian ideal in there is that you go to heaven and be with everybody. Except for women, of course. You're kind of screwed. You're property of whoever you were with. The uh, the unattainable view is another thing that puts things into perspective for the next one, I think. And that one is closed to facts. When uh, I brought up the wage gap, for example... For an example, and that wage gap has been debunked a, a million times up one end down to the other. The original one was based on faulty data. The subsequent studies have shown that the wage gap is actually about 2% after uh, hourly uh, work has been considered, after um Work-life balance has been considered, that type of thing. It's it's around 2% per position, not per gender. So the, uh, the, the wage gap has been largely debunked, but there's still feminists out there trying to per- portray that this thing exists, including the feminists in, that make multi-million dollars as actresses. They're, they're wanting more, are not willing to earn more. They, they think they're entitled to this. Um, other ex- examples are the really easy ones. Uh, for example, we have Betsy DeVos now who is in charge of the director, or she's the <sighs> director of education for the entire United States, and she believes in creationism, which is radically debunked and has been in, it's been in uh, trial. It's, it's been destroyed one end and down the other. There's no validity to it whatsoever, yet she still believes it. Denying of facts. That is why. They're closed to facts. There's actually been a uh, quote that's bounced around a little bit, and I actually found the, uh, the root of it. Um, in 1721, a person named Jonathan Swift once wrote, Reasoning will never make a man correct in an ill position which by reasoning he never acquired. The modern-day version of it is you can't reason out somebody that it, in a, out of a position that they weren't reasoned into. 
Let me let me try that one again since I stutter a little bit. You can't reason a person out of a position they were never reasoned into. So if they took it on faith, they took it on random beliefs, trauma, fear. Uh, they're going to be stuck there for a while. The only thing that can bring them out of that is by triggering them to reason their ways out of it. You can't reason their way out of it. They have to reason themselves out of those positions. In a conversation I had with a a now good friend of mine who's a Muslim over in the UK, um, this person reached out to me because they were having difficulty in this very situation. They had found flaws with their own belief, uh, particularly the treatment of women, the, uh, some of the verses in Quran just didn't make sense. And uh, it was very troubling. Uh, instead of me just pl- placing the arguments, talking down to them, making them uh, do whatever, I made, I, I treated it like a therapy session and I made them reason their way out of their own position by asking critical questions, by sparking conversation. And I stuck out with it for several months, come to find out that this person is a uh, gay trans person that was stuck in the Muslim culture and had no way to express this and was afraid of the acceptance of his family and acceptance of people around him or her at the, actually in this case. I don't think there's a full transition anytime soon, but they definitely were struggling with their own identity sexually. And the reason they struggled the most was because of their religion. And again, I repeat, Reasoning will never make a man correct an ill opinion by which reasoning reasoning he never acquired. In his case, he acquired this belief through family. And he had to reason himself out of it. You can never reason somebody else out of it. Here's some other ones that are are kind of obvious, and I can give plenty of examples too. Um, But this this is where it gets a little bit... Uh, tricky when it comes to some of these uh, attributes. So one of the one of the prominent ones is outgrouping, I think. And, and in outgrouping, you always see an address to those that do not believe as the group does. So if you have an ideological think tank not necessarily based around a book or a belief system, they always have a way or always have a method to address those that do not think as they do. Uh, It is a social construct, a social grouping centered around the the core of whatever the ideological theme is, the vision or mission of that, that, that religion. And so what happens is, uh, let's take the case of Christianity. Uh, In my experience, in Mormon culture, if you're not a part, uh, this is particular to Utah. I have not seen this outside of Utah, actually. But if you're not in the Mormon church, you're ostracized. You are immediately thought of as a drug-addicted teen or a drunk, or you get into trouble a lot, or you set fire to things. You're always robbing and stealing and lying and cheating and la, 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 la. I heard gambits of stuff from my friend's parents. Uh, one of which was actually a bishop, which is uh, about the equivalent of a priest in the Catholic Church, but it's like an elected position almost. Um, 
And they uh, they used to say how horrible I was because my parents were also atheists. So therefore, I had to be of the devil of some sort. And uh, you would, I would get outgrouped. I would get bullied. I'd get picked on. Uh, and I contributed largely to the mentality and the mindset that's attributed to uh, religious claims, these faith claims. Because I didn't fit the mold of the one of the group that they're in, they immediately ostracized me. There's another good example uh, in the secular world, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement in particular. What they'll do is they'll talk about the people that are in the group and they'll praise them up one end and down the other. But if you speak out against Black Lives Matter, you hear such derogatory, negative, ostracizing type terms that are meant to intimidate people into silence. You'll hear them, uh, it's racist terms like Uncle Tom, a coon, uh, sellout, whatever you want to call them. They'll get that type of uh, treatment from those in the group outside of the group. So if you don't agree with their group and you actually have to fit their demographic, you're going to get ostracized. For for an example that I experience quite often is I don't agree with feminism in its form today. Uh, I, I do with the previous forms where it's uh, meant uh, like the Middle East needs feminism at this point, for example. Human trafficking is something I can get behind because it, it disproportionately affects women and there's something that needs to be done there. And that I would think is a feminist uh, uh, view or a feminist need. But because I don't agree with the other components of feminism, I'm immediately labeled uh, misogynist. I hate women. That's that's pretty much what misogyny is. I find that odd because uh, if I hated women, my sister would not be living with me. I would not be married for 15 years. I would not speak to my mother and my three aunts. <laughs> I would not speak to my grandmothers. I never had grandfathers. They were all dead. I only had grandmothers. I had a great grandfather, but that's about it. I would uh I would have a lot of issues in my life because the bigger set of my family is all female. All my cousins, I have several cousins, uh half of which are female. Yeah, you know, it's it's pretty split and and I would have to hate them all and that's not possible. I don't hate women. So just labeling it on there is an attempt to intimidate my sense of decency. They're claiming I hate women, but it's obviously not true. The newer ideologies will do something of the nature of calling people Nazis. But I'm going to hold off on going down that road because uh, in a couple of weeks I'm going to do a, an expose on this whole everybody's a Nazi insanity that's been hitting our college campuses in particular but uh America at large it's been it's been an interesting roller coaster so on the outside you know you're treated ostracized throughout grouping but then we have the next attribute which is group thinking which is now you're in the group and what happens in this form is that the collective is more important than the individual. The cause is more important than the personal doubt or personal feelings. So in, in Christian examples, the in-grouping, the group thinking is that uh, 
the Bible is absolutely correct. You need to follow the Bible, that the the Bible is the source of God. And, you know, it's, it's basically your dogma that sets up the group thinking mentality. And, and the defense of your religion is defense of all Christians. Another example is the hate speech uh, laws that have been passed and the uh, ride that Muslims have taken upon that hate speech to make sure that they're a part of it, because that's a part of Sharia, that you are not allowed to criticize Islam. And for them, to criticize Islam is called Islamophobia. So what they'll do is they'll label you as, an, as Islamophobic, um, and they do that because the cause is more important than your personal data feelings. So if you question their beliefs and you question their position, you're, uh, it goes with the other one where they outgroup you and ostracize you or maybe even attack and try to kill you. But it's also a part that they all think the same way. They all source it from the same uh, book, if you will. Um, the newer ideologies don't really have a book that they can go by, but they have a theme. They have a vision. They have a mission. Uh, it starts with the um, feminism is about equality, but then they divert that and redefine equality as equality of outcome, which is a, a socialist view, rather than equality of opportunity, which is a capitalist view. So it's it's a socialist movement at that point, and it's, it's the core of it. And the importance of uh, the group is more important than the individual. So even if you're in the group, I've heard uh, people have conversations with those that are heavy feminists in, in the public sphere. And privately, they'll mention that they've seen the data and they can tell analytically that it's all bullshit. But to remain in the in-group, they have to agree with everyone because that's their personal doubts and feelings do not matter. It's the movement and group that does. It's the idea that uh, the whole approach is more important than the individual. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. In this, in this case, the needs of the ideology outweigh the needs of the individuals in therein. So we're, we're uh, getting down to the near the list. I've got three more for you. Uh, the next one's pretty fun, the denial of reality. So every ideology has a claim to something that is real. And since we can go back to the Spinoza's quotes that substance by its nature is substance by it, let me try this again. Oh wow. Substance is by nature prior to its modifications. So knowing a thing you can know by its substance by its core, prior to you modifying it in some sense. So when you deny reality, uh, you are taking the ideological position that something that counters your belief in reality must therefore not be real. Um, easy one for Christianity is uh, evolution. We can see this happening in every species on the planet. Uh, some Christians actually take in, have no problem with uh, creatures evolving uh, of any way, shape, or form. Like uh, dogs, we've actually selectively bred and you pl applied the ideas of eugenics to dogs to get specific breeds. We've um, 
done the same thing to pigeons. We've done the same thing to other pet animals to try and get a specific look or specific hair color or what have you. With, um, with evolution being so evident uh, that we would exempt ourselves from that set of evolution is a denial of the reality that we are a part of the ecosystem, that we are, in fact, animals. We're primates, highly evolved primates, more evolved than our private cousins. Creationists in Christian world and in Islam, and uh, to a lesser extent Jews, but they, um, they all deny the reality of evolution. Ironically, as I segue into this, feminism also denies evolution. It seems odd that you would, I would say that, but when it came down to it, I've been reading a lot of uh, work on psychology today, in uh, mainly just to keep my mind functioning and keep on top of things. But I came across an article where uh, self-proclaimed feminists have argued with evolutionary psychologists for the mere fact that the evolutionary psychologists were men, therefore they could not be right. Never mind that the arguments that they're making or the studies or breakthroughs that they're making that relates to our evolved brains because our brains do evolve and they evolved from somewhere right applying evolution to psychology makes sense because we can take the core of our roots everything that we've carried up as an animal and see why we do the things we do but when you take the the parts where men are bigger they're a little bit more aggressive because back in the day we had to protect the family and all that fun stuff and then you you warp it to say that that's just sexist and everybody's a blank blank slate and then you make a gender uh, or gentrification type argument where everybody's a blank slate at birth there is no sexes and then you're conditioned by society um that's denial of reality you're, you're denying the fact that every person, male or female, is born male or female with different psychological bases. It's been proven inside and out through studies of, uh, like, they've done infant studies of just showing pictures, and it's uh, where girls like pictures of people, where boys like pictures of things. So boys are more possessive than girls, obviously, in, in those cases. So they showed that there's clear psychological differences. You, t- you put people in an MRI, you can tell if they're male or female because their brain chemistry and their brain structure, not the size, but the way it functions, is different. And uh, that's how we discovered gender dysphoria, is to find that transgender people, uh, male to female or female to male, it doesn't matter, they notice that they their brains are wired in the opposite way of their sexual parts. And so they deny this. It's just uh, they're, they're a blank slate. So that can't be true. That can't be right. Unfortunately, they're wrong. And so they deny reality and favor their ideology. Um, the next one uh, gets a little bit more dark. And it's, it's uh, one that we've seen manifest in several ways, and it's probably the worst part of our entire world history, and that is the treatment of traitors. So if you're once in a group, and for whatever reason you leave that group, if you come back, you're treated with disdain, with distrust, with hate. In 
in Christianity before they uh, before they reformed. 1820, I think it was. There's a guy named Kiana Ripoll who was teaching deism to his to his students. He was a teacher, and uh, he was teaching it to them because he felt it was more philosophically sound. It made more sense. The Catholic Church did not like this. He was the last person ever executed for heresy by burning at the stake. In other words, because he was preaching something they didn't like, and they felt he was a traitor to their cause, they set him on fire. The Spanish Inquisition is another good example of this. If if you were a traitor to the traitor to God, they would kill you on the spot. In Islam, the punishment for apostasy is death. And they have carried it out nearly every day. Atheists in Saudi Arabia, for example, are considered a terrorist group because we don't believe in any gods. Therefore, we are a threat to Islam because we do not believe. If you are from a Muslim family and found to be atheist and don't believe, in certain countries, they will kill you. You're going to die. To get a little bit less dark, the older religions would kill you, but the newer ones, they try to destroy you in other ways. For example, all the ones that came out and said, I'm no longer a feminist because this stuff is ridiculous, they've lost their jobs. They've, uh, if they were public figures, they were attacked in the news uh, on all sorts of shows, what have you. Uh, if you come out and uh, speak against the people you're once with, you're immediately attacked by those people. They, will, they know personal information about you, so they expose that personal information. Uh, it's happened numerous times. Uh, doxing is one example of when this happens in the YouTube sphere, if you want to call it that. They'll display your personal information to, for everybody to see, so then they can you know, email your employer, try to get you fired, that type of thing. Traitors are treated doubly worse than just your opposing force. They're, because of that information they know, they immediately use it to attack because they feel betrayed. Unfortunately, this also falls into our sociology and our involved little brains. Since we're social creatures, if you betray the pack, you don't deserve to live because it, was, it could have caused death for the entire uh, social group. Uh, we see this a lot in primates, actually. And if the primate portrays the trust of the pack leader, then uh, bad things usually happen to the person that portrayed that trust. So it's a very, very dark one. And it usually always ends up that the person that's a traitor gets treated worse than if you were the enemy. Um, death being the final result in some of these cases. So to my last point... Um, Dominance over humanity. This one I'm, I'm not entirely sold on, but I thought it might be interesting to put into context. Um, each one of these religions are trying to save you in some way. Christianity wants to spread throughout the entire world because 
Jesus is trying to save your immortal soul, and he is the only way for you to get to heaven. So everybody needs to believe so that we can have a utopian society of Christians. Islam is the exact same way. Hindu is the exact same way. Buddhism is not the exact same way, but it does have a dominance over humanity, saying they're all ignorant, and eventually they need to learn how to be wise and come to Buddha and be more like him and detach from uh, your desires and so on and so forth. The the, uh, other new religions, feminism, does not want equality of opportunity. They want equality of outcome. And in many cases, what they want is dominance over the male species, uh, especially the ones that are loudest about feminism. They, they definitely want to control society in a way that they see fit. In Sweden, we see the first feminist group uh, ever to hold public office, president on town. And we've also seen the highest cases of rape in that society because it's now a feminist utopia where women are treated better than men. But then they also play to the altruism of um, their emotional side, their caregiver um, evolutionary psychology, uh, psychological condition where women tend to want to be the nurturers. In uh, set fashion, they try to nurture people that are antithetical to Western beliefs and thus are now the rape capital of the world. The, um, they also, if you, if you read about the roads that they had issues with when it snowed in Sweden, they decided to plow the roads as a feminist rather than logically as men would do. And it caused the worst traffic they have ever seen in the history of Sweden. It was horrible. Um, Black Lives Matter seeks to dominate based on race. Uh, They want all white people to be uh, put in check, as it were, dominated over, maybe even owned. I mean, we saw as far as somebody being kidnapped and tortured for two days, what's to stop them from continuing this path. It's expanded with the, uh, what they call the Antifa, the anti-fascist, being fascist on the street. They they believe so much in the global socialism or communist socialism, whatever flavor of social utopia they want to play, that they've used violence to shut people down that disagree with them. But they, the, it has an end goal. They want socialism for everyone, literally. So overthrow governments, put socialism everywhere. I, I know somebody else that tried to do that, too. I'm pretty sure everybody knows who I'm talking about. It didn't work out for, well for him, either. He killed himself in the end. So, with that giant list... Uh, in the last few minutes that we got left, I wanted to leave you guys with some thoughts. The uh, the one thing I try to do whenever I take a list and I take on a bigger problem like this is I try to do the root cause analysis and then I try to come up with solutions to solve these problems. So in each of these points, what are some solutions that you can come up with? One of the ones that I always come up with, at least in my experience, is try to Eliminate, or at least negate, the acceptance of ignorance, making ignorance a virtue, believing things on faith. I think if you start at least there, 
get rid of the emotional based reasoning, get rid of the faulty reasoning, uh, the utopian ideals become less realistic because they're really kind of all based on an ignorant viewpoint, a lack of knowledge. And once they're adopted, uh, any knowledge that is presented to them is dismissed because it doesn't fit into the view. But if we got rid of ignorance in some fashion, uh, base everything on reality, there might be a way out of every ideology on the planet, regardless if it's secular or theistic. The next point I wanted to bring up before we uh, get close to ending this show is uh, why are these points dangerous when coupled to ideological thinking, but not with other groups that have common goals? And what I mean by this is uh, when you put ideological thinking together, for the Christians, for example, they went to war. For Muslims, they blow people up and kill people and run people over trucks and shoot 50 people up in a nightclub because Allah. For feminists and the anarchist socialists and the the Black Lives Matter group, which is also feminist, ironically, these groups take to the streets and millions destroy public property, set fire to things, destroy property, attack people that disagree, beat people in the streets. Uh, I was reading a report that happened recently that in Berkeley there was another protest and seven people were stabbed because they didn't agree with this, this mentality. It's, it's insane. One person was shot in uh, another one at, at Washington State, but it happened to be the other way around from what all accounts were. Uh, he was attacked, and he pulled the gun out and shot the guy because he didn't keep his hands to himself. And it was the anti-fascist, or the fascist, excuse me, they're not anti-fascist, they're fascist. It was the fascist group that was protesting, and it was attacking a Trump supporter, or as a Milo supporter, one of the two. And so they thought it would be fun to start some crap, and they got shot. What people don't realize is when you start violence, you receive violence. And a lot of these people have never fought in their lives. They're just a bunch of weak bullies. They do it in groups because it's safer. Mob mentality. But uh, they keep it up and they find uh, a group of people that aren't going to take it. They're going to have a, a rude awakening and it's going to be bloody. It, it, revolution style bloody. It's going to be Several slaughtered. So this uh, this list of ten is not exhaustive. It's not complete. There's there's other attributes that I'm still considering, that I'm exploring. One of these days, I'm going to take a take some time to really just nail down all the attributes that I see that really define what an ideology is and how you can identify them is the most important piece. So to leave you with the last uh, quote, essentially to know what a thing is, you must know its attributes for its attributes, its substance prior to modifications are what allow us to define and know a thing. The example that I can give you that's easy, that's nothing to do with any of the discussion points tonight is a rock. How do you know a rock is a rock? Well, you know a rock is a rock by its size. A boulder is something you cannot carry. A rock 
is something you can hold in the palm of your hand. So it's defined by size. A size is one of its attributes. You also know a rock is a rock because it's a mineral. It's made of a substance um, that is in its normal natural state prior to modifications of heat or cold, at least in our environment, is solid. We know a rock is a rock based on its shape. Uh, essentially, it can be hard or smooth, jagged, uh, or whatnot, but essentially it's spherical in nature and, and to an extent, unless it was chipped off or whatnot. But its natural state, if it was like a rock in a lake bed, for example, is going to be a smooth stone. If it was a rock that fell off into a quarry, it's going to be it's going to be squared, it's going to be jagged, but essentially it's spherical, just not smooth. Some of these attributes will help you see that you know what a rock is. I could sit and describe rocks to you based on their attributes. You, you could generally make a picture in your mind. So too are these ideologies. You can picture what they are in your head by looking at the attributes at the root of these ideologies. You can tell what they are for what they are how they reason, what tools they use. Sophistry, for example, is a, is a common tool that is used to defend ideological thinking because it, it, it is all uh, based in political arguments. Most common one is if you can't reverse the argument, then the argument is invalid. But like I said, this is not an exhaustive list. There are more to come, I'm sure. And that is that, folks. Hopefully this illuminates something to you. Hopefully you enjoyed this a little bit. Um, this list I'll possibly publish. I'm moving my blog uh, from its current host. I'm on Blogger right now. I'm going to be moving to a, a different format. And that's going to happen the next month or so. I'm going to continue my YouTube projects. And I'm going to start doing those possibly one a week. Uh, maybe push it to more. I've been getting a lot of good feedback there. Um, and that is it. I'll also continue this. I'm making a regular schedule. This will be every other Friday starting today. So every two weeks I'll have a new episode for you, and hopefully it'll be just as good as this one, if not better. Uh, I have some guests lined up for future uh, shows and some announcements that will be coming down the pike in really, really soon. So thank you again for joining me on the Axiom Principle. I hope you enjoyed it. Please try to fight ignorance wherever you find it. For the entirety of humanity, humanity is reliant on us to drop ignorance for knowledge. Thank you very much. All right, this is a little post-show thing. I always do. Um, this list is about 10. It is 10 bullet points long. I, uh, pull, I've i been pulling these together for, for a couple months now. I have a few other attributes that I, I threw out because um, they didn't just – they didn't quite fit because I'm trying to see – these are all ideological thinking points, 
So, for example, they all have dogma. It, well, what is dogma? Is dogma just a set of traditions? What, what's is it uh, pieces out of their book? What is it? And I, I didn't quite have a good grasp of that. Maybe it wasn't the root piece that I'm looking for. Uh, core-centric belief. Maybe that would fit it. Um, unfortunately, since this is a vast subject with multiple religions, and I'm trying to find common threads throughout all of them, it's a little bit more difficult to nail down an attribute. Because... If it's true for one and not for another, then it cannot be an attribute. It is uh, either a modifier or a distinctive piece of a new thing that's not necessarily a religion or an ideology. And, and I, even using the two different terms, ideology and religion interchangeably, is a little bit out of scope for what I'm trying to do. So I'm, I'm sticking it with ideology. It just so happens that religions happen to be a modification of what an ideology is. So it kind of throws it sideways. But anyways, uh, one of the announcements I'll share is, I'm like I said, I'm moving my website. I'm going to rebrand it a little bit. It's no longer going to just have my name slapped on there. I'm going to move it over and, and really adopt the Axiom principle as, as the website and push that forward a little bit more. Um, on my YouTube channel, I've been doing a little bit more open posting, a little less intellectual, a lot more fun. Um, it's been a while since I've been in, been able to be a snarky little jackass, and uh, that's largely in part because of my doctoral journey and my college experience has uh, taught me to be more political when it comes to my speaking, especially when speaking in, in front of large audiences. In YouTube, uh, I can be a little bit more expressive, and uh, I'm actually trying to work on making a persona of my own. I mean, I've already showed my face on YouTube and whatnot, so people know exactly what I look like. Um, and maybe I'll just use... Uh, I've been using a program called uh, Prisma that a friend of mine on Twitter showed me. Uh, Amadeus Almighty is what he calls himself. Guy's pretty cool. But he uh, he showed me this tool. I've been playing with it. It's pretty fun. It's uh, basically you take, you take a selfie and then you can morph it to make it look like it's a Picasso picture or it's an oil painting or what have you. It's really cool stuff. So I've been using some of that to try and use as a YouTube persona. And I think I'll probably stick with it because it's a lot easier to just record voice and then plug it in and modify the audio a little bit than uh, slice things up in, in video clips. That and I, I'm not really comfortable being in front of a camera either. So anyways, uh, thank you all for joining me. I appreciate uh, your continued listening. Um, this year should be the new year of me structuring things a lot differently. I'll have set um, episodes coming out. I already have three planned. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to put them all out in scheduled sequence, uh, make sure that I have time every other time, and it doesn't misalign with any vacation or whatever that I may take and take off. And if I do, then what I'll do is I'll pre-record it and put it out there so that at least you guys have something to listen to. Thank you again, and uh, I bid you good night. <laughs>